Alright, everybody, welcome to the June 20th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got uh, the full crew, Dan and Chris, with me tonight. Uh, we had a bunch of stuff happen this week. We have a real topic list for the first time in, like, two months. That is not all corona and riots. Yeah, exactly. it's not a single topic topic list. Uh, I, I guess we'll start with the biggest one. The Supreme Court put out some pretty big surprises this week. Uh, I don't think anybody expected the LGBT ruling, uh, where they ruled that uh, sexual uh, preference and gender identity are both intrinsically linked to sex. And so Title VII, uh, which protects against sex discrimination, also applies to transgender and gay and lesbian individuals. Yeah. Uh, Surprisingly, uh, it was this was the Gorsuch decision, right? Gorsuch joined with the liberals on this. Yeah, Gorsuch and Roberts. So yeah, it, definitely different from usual or what you would expect, where sometimes you get the occasional Roberts defection, often on very technical grounds. This was, you know, a full-on textualist approach to the. Uh, Equal Rights Act, and yeah, again, finding, yeah, fi finding a, you know new interpretations of the statute that uh, you know the courts have not seen fit to include before. So, yeah, a really, really nice surprise. Everybody seemed pretty well braced that uh, it was going to be illegal to fire gay people, transgender people, after yeah. this decision, and it came really out of nowhere, and Gorsuch was pretty full-throated in his defense of this. Uh, he wrote the the main opinion, I believe. Uh, Dan, you may know more. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, um, and he he dove right into it. There wasn't any pussyfooting around. There wasn't any, you know, technical narrowing of the decision for, for much of anything. He, he really honed in on the issue and laid it out clearly. These things are nonsensical without reference to sex. Therefore, they are sex discrimination. Exactly. Uh, the other big case was, well, Trump claims he won it tonight at, <laughs> at his rally. <laughs> he said everybody doesn't realize it, but they actually won that case. Uh, the court found that uh, the administration can't rescind DACA, or at least not the way that they had. Uh, this was uh, another decision where Roberts joined with the more liberal members of the court. The LGBT decision was 6-3. The DACA decision was 5-4. Uh, yeah. And Roberts and the liberals held that uh, under the Administrative Procedures Act, uh, the Trump White House absolutely has the right to uh, cancel DACA, uh, but they have to show that they thought about it. Hard, and they did absolutely none of those things. Uh, Robert's opinion notes the upheaval in the lives of, of tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of Americans because of this. Uh, well, not Americans, but children who have known no other country but America. Uh, the upheaval and the uncertainty in their lives because of this and the Administrative Policy Act uh, means that they have to advance reasons they're doing things, well-thought-out reasons that show that yeah. thought and determination was put into it. And Roberts found that they had done none of those things and just made it up as they went. Well, exactly. And this, it actually reminds me a lot of the decisions last year 
about the uh, census, actually, where this is another case that it's very important and it turns on interpretation of the Administrative Procedures Act. And Roberts just could not with a straight face say that the administration had done their homework, you know, he, you know, send back, you know, correct and resubmit. I mean, the only good thing is that hopefully Trump doesn't have enough time to do that. <laughs> Although he's made noises about it this week. Yeah, he says yeah. they're going to be refiling, but everybody expects a court case from that, and it will be until after the election before that's heard, and if Trump gets yeah. reelected, then DACA will be ended, and if Biden is elected, then DACA will stay. And the court just decided to turn this into a political question that the voters can answer. Right. Yep. And unfortunately, you know, DACA is also one of the more popular things that Trump has tried to take on. It's definitely the most sympathetic, I would say, uh, subset of immigrant groups that Trump has uh, tried to turn public or taken a fight against. So. Hopefully this goes about as well for him as anything else. He brought him up at the rally tonight, uh, pausing for a moment to mention that, by the way, they're not so young anymore. Oh, dear God. Of course. Yes. <laughs> he has discovered the was... concept of linear time. <laughs> yes. I don't think he has, but he has figured out that they are older. People who were brought here as children have grown up in the last eight years. Incredible. <laughs> Some of them are even older than they were when he took office. <laughs> it, it makes me think of the think pieces that talk about millennials like they're all 20 years old. <laughs> uh, the court also decided to take a pass on uh, a few cases, one of which leaves in place uh, a fairly significant circuit split. Uh, they've decided to punt on basically all gun cases. Uh, which means the fifth and the second circuit are now out of sync <laughs> on, uh, on a number of gun regulation issues, and different rules apply in different parts of the country. They they didn't touch. They had twelve gun cases ahead of, uh, in front of them. They dismissed eleven of them. The only one they left even the possibility of taking up is a confiscation case out of San Jose, uh, mm. and it has been on the conference since. I think October. <laughs> they haven't done anything with it as long as the other ones have been on. Uh, so nobody's really expecting them to take it up anytime soon either. So it looks like they punted on all the gun cases. Uh, and they also punted on uh, California Sanctuary City Law, but this one doesn't leave a circuit split. Uh, the circuits that have brought this up, at least, it doesn't come up in all of them. But the ones that have looked at it have found that. Uh, no, the states do not actually have a requirement to make immigration's life easier. They're, they're not allowed to necessarily actively interfere in, in immigration, depending on where you are, but they are not, in any sense of the word, required to hand over suspects or anything if the state doesn't want them to. Uh, and the court decided that was cool, and they weren't going to look into it. Yeah. It, it, it makes me nervous. You know, too much good news from the court, you know. <laughs> What's on deck for next week? Well, me... <laughs> Roberts is planning to weigh in on something that says that if people of color are not allowed to vote, it's even better than okay. Oh, <laughs> that's his okay. go-to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's his old standby. <laughs> Bring back Shelby County again. There's been some some interesting analysis from the court in the last year. A lot of it uh, focusing on 
believe it was Kagan, who has been joining with a lot of the, let's call them the more pliable conservative votes, uh, and turning what would be narrow conservative wins on the court into larger conservative wins. Uh, and one of the reasons suspected of that was that she was kind of laying the groundwork to get them to buy into legal arguments that then lead to decisions like these. Uh, and Dan, I think you uh, hit the nose on the head when you were talking about how the decision on LGBTQ uh, employment rights and discrimination rights really hinged on what was a textualist uh, examination of, of the document. And you got a lot of pushback from the right about how this is fake originalism and, and things yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> And it, it just really makes me wonder if, if Kagan actually hit a home run there. Could very well be. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, Gorsuch is a weird one to figure out in particular. Um, you know, clearly this isn't the sort of thing where I think if he had his, pol if he were deciding this strictly politically, this isn't where he'd want to end up. But yeah, it, it is odd, really. Um, and then I, I guess we'll move on to, uh, let's talk about the rally some more because it blends into this one that I, I want to talk about a bit. Uh, Trump's been starting to group in protesters with looters and rioters. He's been using that as a, a three word phrase, protesters, looters, and rioters. He's used it on Twitter twice in the last two days. He used it numerous times tonight during the rally. Uh, he seems to really be turning to the idea that protests against him are illegitimate. Uh, this was also echoed uh, just yesterday. He, he got on the horn with, I, I forget what media group he was in, but he did, uh, did a number of off-the-cuff interviews yesterday. He called up random media outlets and talked for like an hour each to them. Uh, three or four different people got an exclusive. And in one of them, he talks about how he wants to get legislation uh, through that would outlaw uh, advertiser boycotts, which yeah. I don't know how you could even think that would pass the first blush with the First Amendment. That's a fundamental free speech issue. Deciding where and what you're going to spend money on, that is not really the government's business. Yeah, it's and it's money equals speech whenever it's convenient for them. So and they have to ride that the other way now. He, uh, he also threatened Seattle during the, the rally tonight. Uh, and he echoed a line he made on Twitter the other day that he doesn't need anybody's permission to send to the National Guard to American cities and American states. Uh, right. That would run counter to the, the legal like justification for this. The Posse Comitatus Act uh, specifically outlaws using the military for domestic law enforcement, and the only exception to that is governors requesting domestic help. They're, they're not doing law enforcement. They're responding to state control. The state is allowed to use the National Guard for things domestically. The president, when he federalizes them, is not really supposed to do that. There have been some rather explicit, you know, tiptoeing up to the line. Eisenhower uh, took over National Guard that the governor of Arkansas had deployed to prevent black children from going into the Little Rock School. Those National Guard were already deployed when Eisenhower federalized them. 
uh, he just ordered them to switch sides <laughs> and, <laughs> and let the black kids in. But he didn't deploy those troops out into the field. Uh, Trump is talking about actively invading an American city, uh, irregardless of what local political leaders ask for. Yeah, I mean, I guess with everything Trump, you hope that this is bluster and just saying the first thing that comes to his mind and not something that he's really going to try and actively push in the next few months. Yeah, um, I don't know, though. I just... <sighs> I really feel like he's laying the groundwork for if he loses, these things are illegitimate. He's been doing that with the mail-in voting, too. Like... Election day is going to be a week this year. It's going to be a week to count all these votes. There are going to be a lot of states that flip from election day to total vote. And if we're all of a sudden calling these illegitimate, that's that's a slippery slope that I don't think we're going to have much luck stopping ourselves going down. Well, yeah. I mean, you think of how the turn... The results are going to be, say, for a state like Arizona on election night versus after you've had another week of counting in mail-in votes from Maricopa County. You know, like, how long did it take for them to declare the race for cinema of the, in like 2018? It was, like yeah, it was the better part of a week, yeah, at least, or more. I think it was yeah. over a week. Mm -hmm. She was, uh, Sunim was down significantly when they started counting ballots. Yeah, on election night, yeah. So, you know, Thinking about that, you know, especially if the national race is close enough, let's say Trump manages to pull it out in Florida, which remains entirely possible. Uh, and yeah, it comes down to a couple of states. Well, again, Wisconsin, Arizona, um, let's say Pennsylvania is close enough. Yeah, and you know, the turn you know, steadily goes against him as more and more votes come in. Yeah, especially if the media buys into this, you know, goes blasting some, you know, maps of, you know, showing, you know, Trump winning or at least leading, you know, misleadingly, of course, because, of course, most of the votes won't be in. But that has a lot of psychological effect on people. Especially and, think about the states that lead, like Georgia, hmm? Texas. Those are the states that, you know, are going to go a long time. And if they flip, it's going to be, you know, earth shattering. Yeah, Exactly. That's uh, one of many reasons I'm hoping for a like five percent result rather than a within two percent result. Exactly. I'm hoping so too. Um, I guess this actually brings us down to the other point. Biden's expanded his lead in the overall average of polls to above ten points now. Yeah. Uh, and he is either tied or leading in states that total like 413 electoral votes. It, it would be the biggest landslide since, I think, Reagan. Yeah. Reagan won yeah. all but, like, Massachusetts one year or something like that. Yeah, even bigger than Bush over Dukakis. Yeah. Uh, it would be absolutely incredible. And to be frank, I think we kind of need it. A wholesale mm -hmm. rejection is right. what's going to be required. This can't just be something where some people disagreed and they won out by a little bit and the other side's going to try again the next time they get in power. This has to be like a wholesale rejection. 
I, I just I hope those numbers climb even more. I mean, if we could swing it so he loses only Ida, or yeah, if we could swing it so like Biden loses only Idaho or some shit, I feel <laughs> much better about the state of the country. Yeah. I don't think we're going to get there. No. <laughs> There's too many Kentuckys and West Virginias. And mm-hmm. Look now, Kentucky's one of the states that Biden is pretty close in. Uh, uh, let's talk about the primaries a little bit then, if we're going to be talking about Kentucky, because there's been some shakeup in their Senate primary. Uh, we spent a little bit of time last week talking about uh, the primaries, but Amy McGrath seems like she's uh, on the ropes. But yeah. Booker's campaign has gone from releasing internals that only showed him down, you know, 22 points to internals that actually show him up by a few. Elizabeth Warren just endorsed Booker today. Uh, oh, wow. I didn't catch that. Yeah, she released a slew of new endorsements today. Booker, uh, Booker for Kentucky was one of them. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm starting to think that we're not going to have McGrath, uh, which I think... I'm not sure if I like that or not. One of the things that Booker has been really hitting McGrath on lately that I think is smart uh, is that she's never been elected to anything. <laughs> like, ever. Yeah. She has no, like, track record whatsoever. She's in the spot because she put up a good fight <laughs> the last time she lost an election. Uh, she put up a real good fight, and she had some uh, some great speeches. She really captivated a, a certain segment of the, of the party, not necessarily the most progressive wing, Certainly a large part of the Obama coalition back in those years and and such. Um, She was running in Kentucky, so. (laughs) Uh, And and Booker does actually have a a pretty respectable track record in Kentucky politics. He's been elected a number of times to various different positions. He's got a a history of legislation that is fairly progressive without, I, I believe, going over the line or anything like that. He's a candidate I think I can support. Uh, I am shocked because McGrath outraised him like close to a hundred to one. She had like forty-one million dollars <laughs> that he uh, that she raised in quarter, and he pulled in like eight hundred thousand bucks. Um, it was it was incredible, but he, he looks like his chance to take it. Yeah, I mean, it's think of the idea of who. You know, I've been thinking in the past week. If McGrath is the candidate who actually has the better chance, not that it's a good chance per se, either way. Yeah, but I'm with you there. <laughs> I don't think either of them is going to come within 10 points. Yeah, uh, I don't think Biden is, by the way. Actually, looking it up, the poll I saw was a garbage poll. I'm looking at 538, <laughs> like uh, actual approved pollster list, everybody above a C. And Trump yeah. is up on average close to 20 points. Uh, between 12 and, like, 30. Uh, and the one I saw was an internal from a think tank that they were just throwing out there. So, <laughs> ignore me on Kentucky. But <laughs> I, do th- I do think Booker is a better candidate. I don't think uh, McConnell's going to win, but I'm starting to think Booker is a, a better candidate for that. Uh, yeah. uh, I guess we'll talk about Bolton's book now. Uh, I posted a copy in the group. I mean, yar, let's all be pirates. <laughs> Feel free to download that. It's in a PDF format, uh, which is the only format I get my hands on. It's kind of hard to find leaked classified books. So, you know, take what you can get. Uh, he lost but won his court case. 
the judge isn't going to try and claw the book back. He, he just, he straight up said the horse is out of the barn. <laughs> he, he can't do that. But he did find it was quite likely that Bolton has broken the law <laughs> and uh, is anticipating assigning the government all the profits from the book. So okay. I don't think Bolton is going to get any money from it. He may end up in jail, but the book will be published on Tuesday. Or if you join our Facebook group, you can have it right now. <laughs> uh, Dan, does that jive with what you understand the law to be on that? Uh, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't seen the decision. I mean, the main thing I'd seen was that it's not. Yeah, decision. exactly. It's yeah, the it point was, where the book itself can't harm things further. Yeah, it was his decision. He, he released his decision, not granting a temporary restraining order, but granting other requests the government had because, in his view. Bolton is uh, quite likely to lose. He says that explicitly and yeah. uh, says that by everything you can tell, Bolton had an absolute requirement to wait for the uh, uh, classification review. Yeah, that, that sounds about right to me. And I'm basically fine with mutually assured destruction between these two. So <laughs> go at it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Plus, I mean, I'd rather buy in the book help out the federal government than help out Bolton. It's not like Trump is going to spend this money. I mean, by the time it's actually ready for allocation to some government department, Trump won't be in office. Or if he is, I'll be out of the country. One of those two things. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'd rather the feds get the money than Bolton. Uh, and I'm not prevented from seeing the book. Yep. I, I mean, you guys read any bits about it? I mean, I've read the kind of like excerpt stories, you know, like these are the five most shocking things in the book. Yeah, um, that's pretty much all you need. Uh, the book is terribly written. <laughs> Bolton is a horrible <laughs> Um It's like 14 pages of the most mundane fucking details about his walk between the office and where he was going and shit. Uh, all, all you need are like the, the list of here's the most shocking shit that you are not missing anything else. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah, there's a lot in it. Uh, he absolutely confirms that the president lied to the Mueller report. Uh, that excuse me to Bob Mueller while Mueller was writing the Mueller report. Uh, Roger Stone did absolutely know about WikiLeaks and told Trump about it. Bolton was there when Stone was on the phone with Trump telling him about the WikiLeaks stuff. He was with Trump. Uh, Stone was on the other end. Mm -hmm. uh, he openly told China they need to buy more soybeans so that he'll win re-election, which is what yeah. people pointed out. The entire reason that needed to happen was because of the trade war he picked with China. If you want China to buy soybeans, all you have to do is literally nothing. <laughs> you just have to grow soybeans. They they account for like eighty percent of the world's use of soybeans. They export or they import them from almost every country on earth that grows soybeans. We were the largest source of Chinese so uh, soybeans for China until Trump picked a trade war and China chopped off agriculture imports from the U.S. That that was entirely an own goal that he's trying to get to fix so that he can win re-election as a personal favor from the Chinese president. <laughs> uh, Bolton
Bolton also really goes into the Ukraine thing and the uh, decision to withhold aid. Uh, that was all Trump. Trump was intimately involved in that. Um, right. A lot of stuff about Mattis and Bolton uh, in there. And let's remember, Mattis and Bolton fucking hate each other. They cannot stand each other. Bolton wanted to do nothing but invade Iran, and Mattis's basically his entire job was trying to prevent U.S. troops from dying in places. Uh, and Bolton, I think, even feels bad for Mattis at one point uh, because he he recalls the story uh, when Mattis was arguing uh, over sending troops to. I, I think it might have been Iran. It, it was during the, the whole, like, uh, Iran blew up one of our bases thing. Uh, and Trump is talking to Mattis about how Mattis can't be objective because he lost a kid in Afghanistan and that clouds his judgment. He's, he's too much of a, a soft belly uh, on stuff and whatnot. And it just... <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. First of all, I actually did not know Mattis had lost a son. In, in the war on terror. Somehow that had literally never come up in the, the news reports I'd read about him. Uh, so that's incredible. And also the fact that Trump almost made fun of him for it was just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, yeah. If you want to read it, please do. Um, mm -hmm. Boring, though. Straight up warn you. It's the most boring text you've ever read. It's <laughs> Uh, I was curious about whether <laughs> this is such a minor matter, but if he got into the whole like Venezuela thing where he was holding the notepad that's like <laughs> to Colombia. does get uh, <laughs> in on Venezuela and Trump has flipped allegiance and supports Maduro because Maduro's a strong guy and he likes that and he knows how to run a country. And the guy that Bolton was convincing him to back, uh, Guaido, is a weak guy who can't do anything. That sounds right. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's and, not in power. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Bolton was actually able to push through a U.S. response endorsing uh, Guaido. But uh, Trump personally thinks Maduro's a stronger leader and therefore better. Of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so that definitely gets in there, Chris. You should, you should download that PDF. <laughs> I guess I should <laughs> look up the parts that interest me. Yep. And uh, I and okay. I guess also Trump is in favor of executing journalists. I just think we should mention that in passing sometime. <laughs> I think he's been in favor of that for a while. This isn't the first time he's brought yeah, it up. Yeah, I think we've all known that, but <laughs> still have it on the record is something. Mm -hmm. Oh, he also endorsed uh, a year in jail for anybody who burns a flag at the rally today. That's that's been settled. Weiss. <laughs> that yeah. was settled once in 88 and then congressional Republicans got enough of a boner about it that they immediately passed almost the exact same law and the Supreme Court invalidated it again in 89. So I, I don't know what he thinks is going to happen there. Uh, in terms of things that actually might happen though, some police reform bills are actually moving. Uh, there's a Democratic bill there's the Amash bill, and then there's the Tim Scott bill. We've talked about the Amash bill a little bit. The uh, Democratic bill is now fully out. Uh, it basically pairs a lot of what Democrats wanted and um, does about a half measure on the Amash bill. Uh, and then the Tim Scott bill in the 
Senate does more than I thought it would, but not actually a lot. Uh, at some point, I guess I just kind of internalized that the Republican police reform bill is going to be trying to give them a lot of money and maybe some more, you know, armored personnel carriers. Uh, but actually, mm. Tim Scott bill does do some decent stuff. Um, it pulls back on the, the military to police, like, equipment pipeline that happens. Uh, it doesn't ban chokeholds, but it, it does strongly encourage local jurisdictions to ban them, <laughs> which is just an abdication of leadership, but, you know, you get mm-hmm. what you can, I guess. Uh, the Scott bill is probably the best chance to actually pass because Trump will sign it. Uh, the Senate's not going to pass a Democratic bill. Nobody's going to pass Amash's bill, and Trump won't sign anything that's not maybe Tim Scott's bill, and he might require Tim Scott to water it down a bit. But Scott really has been kind of grabbing the moment. I mean, I'm not going to say he's gone anything close to, like, full you know, Black Lives Matter or anything, but he is definitely aware of the black American experience to an extent that I don't believe many other Republicans are, which is not, you know, unusual considering he's a black man in America. Mm -hmm. Have you had a chance to read through any of the bills, Chris? No. They're all way long except for Amash's, which is literally like four paragraphs. (laughs) That's very libertarian of them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> All it does is it talks about how it, there's like three paragraphs of, qual- of how qualified immunity was uh, uh, in place to support a racist system and Americans don't need it. And then one paragraph of how qualified immunity is no longer a thing. That's, that's the entire Amash bill. Uh, the Democratic bill is, I believe, 218 pages and the Tim Scott bill is like 75. They're both way long. Mm-hmm. Um the Democratic bill does way more, and it also creates some real, like, federal oversight, uh, which I would love, love, love to see. Uh, one of the worst problems about the police force uh, is that, much like the Catholic Church used to be, they just shuffle their bad people around. <laughs> if, if you cause too much of a stink in, in one, you know, police department, they'll just, they'll ship you off to another police department with a recommendation, get you a job somewhere a couple states over, and you're just a bad cop over there for a while. Right. Yeah, the the National Clearinghouse of Abuse Reports and whatnot, I think, is incredibly important because not only does it allow us to keep a hand on things, but it creates a a way to verify that people had the information when they hired somebody. So if you hire a bad cop, we know it's your fault. You you read all the information about how they were a bad cop and still decided to hire this person. I, I think that's the first step to accountability. I mean, if police chiefs start facing liability for people they hired beating the shit out of their citizens, I, I think the world will be a better place and less bad cops will be hired. So, you know, there's my endorsement. Pass the Democratic bill. Also, pass the moshes. Qualified immunity is terrible, and really that could be a that could be an and sort of thing. We can pass the Democratic bill and then pass the Amash bill. I'd be perfectly happy with yeah. Because the Democratic bill is an actual police reform bill, and the Amash bill is a uh, throwing out qualified immunity bill. We can pass both of them. Let's do it. Call it bipartisanship. 
Well, that sounds more hopeful than what I was hearing earlier in the week when McConnell was basically saying that he wasn't interested in having any Democratic input. Oh, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. This is entirely my fantasy world. Well, Uh, it may happen. It could just happen in February, perhaps. Let's talk about good things that are happening. Uh, There are statues going down all over this country. Uh, Some, they got a little out over their skis on i think they uh they brought down a, a ulysses s grant <laughs> statue the other day that was the, <laughs> the general in charge of the northern army and quite possibly although he had he definitely had some uh less than progressive interactions shall we say massacres of native americans in his time which is not at all anything to be proud of but in general among the americans of his time he had very progressive attitudes on the ranks. Far more progressive than Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln never thought of black Americans and white Americans as equal. He just thought slavery was immoral. And Ulysses S. Grant thought they were every bit as much a human being as a white person. Uh, So maybe we should focus a little bit on who we're tearing down, but in general, I absolutely love all of this. It's been a long time coming that uh, a lot of these icons to slavery and the Confederacy have just been a fucking blight and forced down the throats of Americans through some sort of weird reverse affirmative action thing where the South, even though they thoroughly lost that war, gets to, you know, celebrate it like they won and nobody gets to say any shit because we don't want to offend the South or some crap. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I am I'm so happy that fucking era is over. Uh, Portland got a shout out in the president's rally tonight because we tore down two statues. Most of our high schools are named after U.S. presidents, uh, and we toppled the Jefferson statue in front of Jefferson High School and the George Washington statue in front of Washington High School. Uh, Both those came down perfectly happy with it. Uh, Don't tear down Jefferson High School. It's actually a beautiful fucking building. It's built in this, like, neoclassical style. It's, like, 150 years old. It's all brick and Roman arches and stuff. It's beautiful building let's name it for somebody else though and the statue can stay gone we don't have to put up another one i'm okay with that you guys losing any statues in vermont chris (laughs) Uh, no but there was actually i have seen a couple of my state legislators talking about um like the what's going on in the capitol with removing some of the statues there and talking about like what we might want to do with our representations in our capital. It's mostly about diversifying it more in our case, not taking nasties out, but. All right. And then, uh, Dan, uh, I'm assuming you have read up on the Southern district of New York action. I've been, following at least you know a few of the posts that we've had up uh it's been kind of a it's been a bit of a whirlwind tracking down exactly what was happening between uh i guess last night the original version of it was that trump was uh what's the term i'm thinking not trump but that the uh the u.s attorney for the southern district of new york was resigning and then I guess Barr was saying he was no, he was going to be fired because the guy refused to resign. 
And then as of this afternoon, it appears that uh, because Barr was not able to fire him, actually, he was going to get Trump to do it because Trump still did have some legal authority to do that. But Possibly. now, yeah, now uh, this fellow has uh, backed down and he has actually resigned now. So we you, need a lot of speculation as to why they were so all fired to get rid of him in the first place. So the reason he agreed to step down. Uh, so Barr announced he had resigned. Barr yeah. released a press release saying the guy had resigned. Um, and he also announced that the U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey would be taking over the SDNY on an interim basis. Uh, that's not actually how that's supposed to work. It's supposed to be the first assistant, uh, which is always a career prosecutor. It's not a political appointee, the first assistant U.S. attorney of any district. Uh, at least, I should say, according to the, the legal like experts that I follow for analysis. I, they might be wrong on that. I'm not trying to claim that's like perfect knowledge. Uh, so if I'm incorrect on that, feel free to jump in on that. Uh, but when the bar released the letter saying Trump had actually fired this guy today, uh, and he completely, in that letter, ignored the New Jersey thing and announced that the first deputy, uh, who was the right-hand man, or woman in this case, it's a, a lady, the right-hand woman of this gentleman was uh, going to be taken over. He accepted that as the legal process and resigned. Uh, the reason Barr couldn't fire him, oh, and actually, before we get too into this, uh, Trump, like, literally eight minutes after Barr released that letter, was getting onto Marine One uh, on the White House lawn, and they had the pool reporters there, and Trump said he has no idea what's going on with the SDNY, it's not his thing, it's all Barr, he had nothing to do with it. <laughs> eight minutes after Barr releases a letter saying, no, I'm not actually doing that. Trump is because he can legally do that. Oh, Trump perfection. says he has no idea what's going on. And Barr didn't release a letter from Trump. It was another letter from Barr saying that Trump had done this. So somebody's lying. Either the president's lying or the attorney general's lying. One of them is lying. Um, the, the gentleman is actually Trump's hand-picked successor. Uh, for that office. That was the guy Trump put up after he fired Preet. Uh, right. But he, he couldn't really get the Senate to confirm him, and he didn't want to bother with it, and so he just left him in there. After a hundred and, and some days, 180 days, 150 days, something like that, uh, of an interim, he can no longer be the interim. And the office becomes vacant. If the district court that that U.S. attorney is based in, decides that they need a U.S. attorney for everything to function smoothly, they are entitled to, among the, the judges of the court, get together and decide a U.S. attorney and appoint him under the power of the court to the, the U.S. attorney's office for that district. That is how this guy got the job. The court appointed him after he had spent the maximum number of days as the interim. Under that statute, it says he, he serves until there's a replacement. Uh, doesn't give anybody the power to fire him. There is another statute that gives that governs the, the vacancies and appointments of that office, and that's the one that Trump would normally use to appoint somebody. 
um, but didn't. And so there's a statute conflict. Usually, again, from what I was reading, and Dan, you have the actual law degree and real knowledge, so correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, when there's a conflict in statutes, courts try to resolve them in a way that doesn't create a constitutional crisis. Um, And so this came up in 1979 in the District Court of Washington, D.C., this almost this exact issue. Um, not quite with as many political overtones, but whether or not an interim U.S. attorney, not a acting U.S. attorney, but a court-appointed interim, uh, can be fired. And the court in that case decided in the conflict in the statutes, uh, the attorney general does not have the power to fire that guy, but the president does. Uh, and there is also an Office of Legal Counsel memo that backs up that exact interpretation, that the attorney general can't fire him, but the president can because the president's authority is absolute over the executive branch. Uh, it could still be an open question. I think he, if he had decided to fight, he might have had a chance at winning this. I'm entirely a layperson, though, so. Um, hold on, I'm getting some interference on your audio there, Brock. Oh, I apologize. I'm hearing you clearly, yeah. so it might be my problem. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes, now. Okay. Yeah, now I am. Do you think there was a, a chance under those conflicting statutes that he could have held on if he decided to fight it? Yeah, I, I think part, though, of what motivated the defiance in the first place, though, was at least looking at it and seeing that Trump was doing things the wrong way, or at least Barr was doing things the wrong way, you know, this kind of contempt for the rule of law. He's and whether or not getting Trump associates too. Right, right, right. That's kind of the big issue. But these guys also, they're not going to try and they're they're not going to try and make the situation worse, you know, by inviting more chaos, by fighting things out like this in the courts. Uh, so hmm. I think it was at least conceivable that it could have, but it would have been, it would have been a very big to do. Would have, would would have just invited more chaos until it was done, and had the potential for creating some pretty ugly precedents of a, the presidential power over the over the apparatus of the Justice Department that I think most folks would rather at least most sane people would rather not see put into place. <laughs> right. The uh, the replacement is apparently, from what I've read in the legal media, trying to, like, clear through these investigations pretty quickly. You might see some filing decisions rather, like, mm. soonish. Because uh, I, I guess that was the plan put in place by the, the previous gentleman, uh, Berman, who was just fired. Uh, when he found yeah. out he was fired, he moved all the like sensitive investigations to a, a separate chamber and had a bunch of attorneys drop everything else. They, they were deprioritizing their normal cases in order to finish these up as soon as they could, anticipating mm-hmm. interference. It really seems like uh, 
if she's like his handpicked successor, she's a career prosecutor who was really involved, she's the person that he wanted to take over, it, it seems to me that she might try and do the same thing, that she's going to operate under that as well. She is in charge of the office now. This is not like a, she has a minder or something. She is the U.S. Attorney for the District, uh, Southern District of New York now. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm trying to think here, but it, it calls to mind, so, okay, if this was an acceptable end game for the Trump administration, that this, you know, person come online, I'm not sure if that's so much saving face or I'm almost if they had some other objective. And, uh, cause they, so, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So looking at the legal analysis, I was, um, and let's be fair here. The legal analysis was largely Pope head. Just want to, just want to acknowledge <laughs> that. It was largely Ken White, uh, former U.S. attorney. Uh, there were three main problems legally with Trump's order to fire Barr, or with Barr's order to fire Berman. Uh, it came from Barr. Uh, it was very much out of order that the New Jersey U.S. attorney was going to be taken over. You never have somebody from another district take on a second district uh, to, to do those things. And then the other one uh, was the the actual ability of the person to fire that person. And by going back on the New Jersey plan and going to the first deputy, you, you take away two of those legs. You take away the, the improper procedure about who takes over, and then you also take away the, the potential political uh, interference. Uh, excuse me, you leave the political interference, but you also take away the, uh, the improper handling, and then you take away the improper firing by bar. Uh, so that's, that's two-thirds of your legal issues with the decision out of the way. And if they didn't expect this guy to push back this hard and are actually contemplating a court case and what happens if this goes to trial and whatnot, uh, it's a quick way to eliminate most of your risk. That it was the, the appointment of the first deputy as the acting or interim U.S. attorney was solely because they didn't realize it was going to blow up. If it hadn't blown up, they would have got their guy who would have shook-hand all the investigations going into Giuliani and stuff. So how do we get out of this happening? <laughs> like like our, our protection strategy so far has been, well, it's just not done, uh, which doesn't really work when you get somebody who doesn't care. Um, at some point, we have to depend on people to care. I mean, this is a major problem in AI research, too. If you have to define everything about the situation, you're automatically in a losing proposition because you're never a going to be able to define all the negative outcomes. You, you just, you can't. It's a, a fool's errand. So you have to have agents in the case of AI or humans in the case of our uh, society that have shared values, that their values make sense so that when they have to make decisions on the fly, you don't just have like a list of what they're not allowed to do because they're going to find something that they are allowed to do that's just as bad. There will never be an opportunity to define everything you don't want to happen. We just got to elect better leaders. 
I see the argument. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, think about it. If, uh... Define defi some sort of negative outcome. You know, whatever you want to see not allowed to do anymore. And then just think about ways you can go around and do something that's, you know, as bad without explicitly violating that rule. Right, right. And there's a lot of people who think about this. I mean, there's an entire field of research that's dedicated to hopefully not having us, you know, wiped out by the robots. <laughs> so they, they put some thought into it, and I don't think any of them have expressly translated that work to politics, but I don't see it as being that big of a leap. Uh, yeah, we need to make sure that the people we put in charge share our values. It's as simple as that. Also, as hard as that. I'm just saying, Bill Barr has been Attorney General twice now, so we failed at this. He was, yeah. he was decent <laughs> the first time. No, no, he wasn't. <laughs> oh, okay, he wasn't great. He, but yeah, he was, he was the Iran Contra constitutional, like. Well, some of that was the president who served us. Yeah. <laughs> the, the president uh, pardoned the dudes from Iran Contra, the Justice Department sent them to fucking jail. Right, right. But that was also pre-bar when, I believe, when Charges were those wild. investigations were taking place. Yeah. Yeah, because Barr but, was attorney general under H.W. Bush, and Iran-Contra yeah. happened under Reagan. So, yeah, the, mm -hmm. the actual prosecution decisions would have been made before him. But, I mean, nobody thought he was a threat to constitutional democracy under H.W. Bush. Yeah. In fact, when he was appointed, it was taken as a sign that maybe Trump was mellowing out and going back into the institutional Republican Party for his, his picks. You can say, yeah. well, that turned out. That was a fucking joke. Well, probably it, the most corrupt one in that administration outside of Trump. He was, you know, that part of that was he was a permanent appointment that was going to be coming in as opposed to, uh, you know, these temporary appointments that looked like Trump was going to be doing indefinitely in every single department where he couldn't come up with somebody who could simultaneously be as much of a toady as he wanted and could also pass through uh, approval by uh, the Senate. Right. But, yeah, I mean, remember, he, he replaced, you know, big dick toilet salesman guy. So <laughs> compared to what had come before, and before that was Jeff Sessions. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty low bar that he was clearing. Mm -hmm. Wah, wah. All right. Um, I think that's pretty much going to do it for this week. Uh, actually, there's one local story. Did you see there was a murder in the Chaz? What? There was a murder I'm in the Chaz last oh, night. Oh, shit. Uh, one person shot, one person killed, and uh, paramedics wouldn't come in. Police wouldn't let them. Uh, protesters weren't allowing police to enter, but they were allowing the paramedics. The police decided that they could not... Uh, properly ensure the safety of the paramedics if they weren't allowed to come in and uh, the person bled out in the chats. Uh, they were tended to by street medics, but paramedics uh, weren't allowed to enter without the police. Well, that's a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, and it, I mean, it wasn't like they were trying to keep the paramedics out. They called 911. They, they invited the paramedics in. They simply requested the police stay out. I don't think anybody thought the paramedics were in danger. Except the police, no. obviously. I I doubt that the paramedics were in very much danger at all. That seems very much like a 
strong arm tactic more than anything else. Like a, you, you want paramedics and you have to have the full gamut of social services again, yeah. including police. But, oh boy. Absolutely. So there's our heartwarming local story. Uh, people are being killed so the police can make a point in Seattle. Which, you know, ties in pretty well with the fact that people have been dying so the police can make a point pretty much all summer. And if you're yeah. a person of color in America, probably your whole life. Yeah, that's kind of the point that people are trying to make. We have any uh, no water skiing squirrels that we could <laughs> follow that up with? Oh, God. Uh, Multnomah <laughs> County opened on Friday. So some restaurants are open. It's not a water mm-hmm. skiing squirrel, but it's good, I suppose. Uh, Oregon's actually yeah. getting coronavirus testing. We've, we've set the record for our highest number of cases per day three times this week. So. Yeah. Yeah. Washington is pretty much hitting the same stride, actually, which is unnerving because big chunks of the state are reopening. King County finally advanced to phase two. Yes. So, yeah, that's Florida's not great. 4,000 cases a day. Arizona's almost up to that, too. They were at 3,800 or something last time I checked. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, and by the time you're listening to this, the number of cases in red states should outpace the number of uh, cases in blue states. Uh, that the, Those trend lines are about to cross. They're a couple percentage points away. Uh, probably within the next three or four days they'll cross. It's been a very steady pattern. So I knew they could do it. Yeah, I'd get there. <laughs> Hopefully it's about to become non-political. Enough. Oh, man. Well, thanks for checking in this week, guys. And uh, I don't know if the Trump rally is still going on. I just stopped watching it for this, but it was pretty terrible. Go check it yeah. out. Cry for the country. You're, you're watching it for our sins, man. Dude, I, it was God bless. Watching. Oh, my God. And at the end of it, he was ranting about how great it is. How could you vote for Biden? Because Trump has the best stuff, the best cars, the best hotels, the best planes. <laughs> Everybody says it's the best. Why would you vote for the guy? That's a direct quote. He's straight up there having a dick measuring contest about how much gold he owns. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> oh, go back to your gold toilet seat, Mr. President. Seriously. Yes. Oh, my God. I uh, want him to be spending all his time in his luxury resort. Please. Yeah. In fact, the country would probably be better off if you just let the secretary run it and go hang out in your hotel. I'll stop complaining about the golfing. If you want to golf every day for the rest of your presidency, I will not mention a word of it on the internet. I swear to God. We will have an understanding. You can collect your salary and golf as long as you don't do anything, and I won't bitch. Works for me. All right. Well, thanks for coming in, guys. I'll uh, talk to you next week. Chris, we haven't had much from the Northeast. If you want to come back with a solid local story next week. Yeah, let me see what I can track down. As long as it involves water skiing squirrels. I mean, (laughs) that's really the key thing. It's probably going to be running for mayor again, but... If Bernie Sanders has done anything cool with that sword he got from H. Ross Perot, that would work too. Like, see if you can talk him into going to a Renaissance <laughs> fair with it or something. Oh, I would like to see that. Yeah, yeah. that would be some good B roll. I can't believe he kept that sword hidden for so long. I don't even know about it until H. Ross Perot died, and then 
Bernie is just like, hey, here's this seven foot long sword that you gave me. <laughs> All right, guys. I'll see you next week. All right. Have a good week. Bye. Bye, everyone.